This episode first aired on our new channel, Leaders in Tech and E-Commerce Podcast. It covers supply chain tech in depth. We do hope you enjoy it and feel free to follow our other podcast as well for the latest episodes. I'm happy to have with us today Johannes Moros, PhD. She is one of the Relex Solutions' three co-founders. Before founding Relex, Johanna conducted groundbreaking research on retail supply chains. She's the author of tens of peer-reviewed academic articles on supply chain management and optimization. Johanna received the Young Scientist Entrepreneur Award in 2014 and the Veuve Clicquot Businesswoman Award in 2017. Now a few words about Relex. Relex Solutions is a Helsinki-based international software company founded in 2005. They are offering solutions for retail optimization to customers such as Morrisons, PetSmart, Rossmann, and AutoZone. Relay Solutions uses AI to optimize retailers' demand forecasts and inventory flows, taking into account all known internal business decisions, such as promotions, range, and display changes, and also external factors such as seasons, events, and the weather. Then they use this demand and supply visibility to seamlessly optimize space, markdowns, as well as capacity and workforce utilization for increased retail profitability. They have offices all across the world from Europe to the United States and Asia, um, especially Hong Kong and now as well in Singapore. Hi Joanna, great to have you with us today. Hello Andre, nice to be here. So um, we, we have an interesting uh, talk just now about how things are going at a global level in APAC. Um, we are living very interesting times, to say the least. This uh, COVID-19 crisis has put a spotlight on how important it is to have a well-run supply chain, um, how important it is to have a good visibility in, in our supply chain. And as we know, this is connected with how well our uh, software solutions and data management solutions are working. So here is where I wanted to dig a bit deeper and have your perspective on it. So let's start with Relic Solutions as a company. You and your uh, other two co-founders, and I think I was reading somewhere, three supply chain scientists actually, founded Relics with the goal of perfecting retail operations. Tell us more about how and when was the company created and how it adds value to your clients. Okay, so me and the two other co-founders, Mikko and Michael, we actually met at the logistics research group at Helsinki University of Technology um, and did research together. Uh, Me and Mikko um, finalized our dissertations and then it was kind of time to look forward, um, decide on the next step. And then it was actually Mikko who, who presented the idea that we should take some of the ideas we de- developed as researchers and uh, implement them in the real world to see that they actually work. And then uh, we managed to talk Michael into this whole thing, although he hadn't really finalized his dissertation yet. So he basically destroyed his research career. Uh, but I think he's quite um, satisfied with the choice he made back then. Being researchers, we had looked at many different things in the supply chain, but something we were quite enthusiastic about was automated store replenishment, so basically forecasting and replenishment. And we had been doing research on how companies would be able to use data um, to more accurately and effectively manage um, the difficult product categories. So fresh products, 
products with a lot of seasonal variation in demand and promotions. Um, and we had done a lot of um, research on how to do that better. And we were quite confident that there was uh, quite a big improvement that could be had for companies, um, especially grocery retailers. And then we just went ahead and um, tried to implement these things. And actually it worked. It worked like a charm. That's uh, how we ended up being here. It's very interesting. Um, so I think the year of, um, official year of, um, of uh, Relics being founded was 2005. And now uh, a few years later, it seems like uh, it was a great success. I mean, it is a great success and a great idea. And uh, even though Michael had to renounce a few <laughs> things from, from his paper, I think he's happy, like you said. And uh, Joanna, how did you decide who will be responsible for what from uh, out of the three uh, co-founders? Well, basically, uh, in the beginning, um, there was us three and then uh, quite soon a couple of other uh, people joining the group, but it was a very, very small group of people the first couple of years. So basically, we ever did everything. Everybody did everything. Um, so there wasn't a very clear division there. And then uh, we just picked up things uh, as they needed to get done. Um, so, for example, Michael, our um, university dropout, has uh, been running product development and uh, also act, acted as CFO um, at some points in time. And uh, myself, I um, did a lot of consulting in the early years to just kind of fund our product development. And then eventually, when it was time to start um, turning Redux into an international uh, company, um, I was running sales and operations uh, in the Nordic countries. And um, now these last few years, I've been uh, responsible for marketing. So I do think we are kind of not multi-talented, but ready to take on very different types of roles and challenges. Mm. Interesting, got it. And now coming back to, to the current times, right? um, where a lot of clients and a lot of retailers look out to figure out what's the best solution out there. So I wanted to know more about this. How is your company helping your clients to cope with the current uh, crisis? And maybe share some of the questions and requests that you receive most often from your, from your clients. Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so basically going one step back to the basics of what we do. Um, so. As I mentioned, we've uh, done a lot of work in, in automating store replenishment, but we do it for the whole supply chain. So basically we optimize uh, retailers' demand forecasting and inventory flows, um, meaning that we take into account all known internal business decisions like promotions or range changes or display changes. Uh, and we also take in all external factors uh, such as seasonality events and, and the weather. Um, and then we build on this kind of uh, demand and supply visibility uh, to further optimize not just the supply chain, but also space allocation and stores, markdowns, capacity utilization, um, workforce utilization, uh, and so on for increased profitability. Um, all of these areas have obviously been impacted uh, by the uh, COVID-19 crisis, um, but in very different ways in different retail verticals uh, and also in different phases 
Uh, so for example, if we look at grocery, there was an initial phase in, in most markets of, of um, let's say, consumer stockpiling. Um, so I think everyone's uh, familiar with the toilet paper crisis that's been hitting different <laughs> geographies uh, at different times. And then um, in those geographies where there's been significant lockdowns, um, people working remotely and so on, we've seen continued uh, increased sales rates for these kind of essential products. Um, so your basic grocery staples, for example. Then, um, of course, we've seen a great surge in, in demand for um, online ordering and home delivery. Um, that applies both to groceries, but also all kinds of other things that, that people are buying. And then finally, of course, we've also seen the downside of, of the kind of lockdown on, on retail. So um, customers have uh, needed to close stores, for example, in, in certain geographies. Uh, and that's also a supply chain issue. So that's kind of a wide spectrum of, of challenges that retailers have needed to deal with. Um, if we start with the kind of most obvious from a relax perspective, that's the uh, um, forecasting and stocker replenishment. Um, I know some companies claim that AI can basically deal with this kind of um, very unusual circumstances. Um, Yes. My opinion is that it's not true. Uh, if we had those fantastic AI models, we would have been able to foresee how the pandemic would develop and we wouldn't be in this situation right now. However, um, having great quality um, software helping um, supply chain and demand planners manage um, the flow inventory throughout the supply chains and into the stores is crucial in times like these. Um, our retail customers typically have tens of millions of active good flows to control. Uh, and that's basically not something you can do manually um, with very high quality. Um, so what we've seen is that AI deals with the product categories that are less impacted. And then, um, our super users have put in very um, clear rules for how the system should react to these demand surges um, to capture the impact correctly in the short term, but also filter out the impact for the long term so that we don't have inflated forecasts um, impacting buying months from now. So I do think that, that AI and machine learning is quite powerful in these situations, but the power comes from basically freeing up time uh, for planners to deal with the, for example, supply issues that you've had around um, products like toilet paper. Mm. And from all of this, like you said, there's, there's a lot to think about, both from um, the retailer side, the retailers are spread across different, um, uh, I mean, categories as well. Are there certain patterns or um, can you recommend them some uh, priorities that, that you advise the clients to focus on during these times? Because I know there is a period, right? It, it is now, it is the short term in the couple of uh, months to come, and then there is long term. Um, is there any, any pattern that you see when you advise them where to focus on or where, what to get in order first? 
Um, yes, so it's quite dependent, uh, obviously, on, on the retail vertical. Um, so if we're talking about these uh, demand search type of clients, we work a lot with grocery and, and for example, pharmacies. Um, I think the important thing right now is to secure availability of essential products. Um, they are also working hard to ramp up um, their fulfillment capabilities. Not everyone was seeing a huge demand for uh, home delivery previously, and now it's been quite a struggle to, to um, increase capacity in that area. And that's uh, absolutely the right thing to do. Um, it makes sense from a business perspective, probably, although um, fulfillment tends to erode margins quite heavily. But most importantly, it's important for their communities. So the right thing to do. Um, when things settle a bit, um, it's more, in a sense, business as usual. But the big challenge is when will there be the next change in demand? So um, obviously, for short lead time products, this is not a huge problem. So you can be a bit more reactive. Obviously, you need to work together with the suppliers still. But especially for longer lead time products, it's quite important to be quite sensitive about when to start um, making changes um, to the orders placed to suppliers to avoid a significant overshoot if, for example, uh, demand goes back to a more normal level quite quickly. And that's very difficult to foresee. It depends quite a lot on, on how the pandemic evolves, but it also depends very much on, on uh, for example, um, the decisions made by local authorities regarding lockdowns and things like that. Um, so many of our customers are doing quite a lot of scenario planning to kind of find the sweet spot of uh, not having excessive inventory risk, but still being quite confident of being able to um, meet demand in the future. Got it. And I think um, you mentioned a few things, um, but down the line, so this year will be definitely tough for everybody involved. Um, if a client or a potential new client comes to you now and during this time, how can you help? Because um, there is that implementation time when if you want to change from a, a system or legacy system to a new system, uh, it takes some time and effort. Um, is there a, a way or a shortcut around that? Can you help people who uh, would like to, to join or to use the uh, Relic solution now, or is it a bit tough? Um, usually implementation, well, first of all, it's, it's all quite doable um, working remotely, um, as we've seen with, with um, customers in, in many different regions. So ongoing implementations haven't really suffered uh, from everyone working remotely. It's, um, it's very much doable. Um, then the implementation timeline, that depends quite a bit uh, on the customer's starting point. Um, so our quickest implementations have been done in less than three months uh, from start of kind of specification uh, until go live. So it doesn't have to be a long implementation. It's very much dependent on um, how easy it is to get access um, to the master data and transaction data uh, a system like ours needs. 
So basically, we do use a lot of um, historical sales data for demand forecasting and things like that. And uh, that's something we need access to. And obviously, we need access to daily data on, for example, inventory balances and, and sales. So those are kind of must-haves. And that's really kind of the um, factor determining how quickly uh, a client can get going. Mm, got it. I would want to, to go in, into the specifics as, as much as we can with, with some examples, right? Because there are some retailers doing excellent jobs uh, at, at coping with the situation. There are retailers that are struggling. I would rather focus on, on the silver lining and the ones that are doing a great job. Are there, um, maybe you can give us an example of, of a client who's doing a good job and the reasons why they, they, maybe what they did in the past in order for them to be better prepared and how are they doing a good job now? So everybody is interested to, to learn from, from others and trying to pinpoint if there are some lessons that could be learned from, from your portfolio. Uh, yeah, so I think in general, um, our clients have actually performed very well under stress. Um, so we do have clients where, for example, in the very stable, normally very stable grocery business, they've seen uh, demand increase by 30%. And uh, demand for, for example, online fulfillment increased by more than 100% um, almost overnight. Um, so I do think most of our clients have done an excellent job at serving their customers. Some key points here are that retailers in regions that were not hit first, um, the best ones were able to learn from regions that were initially hit. So for example, um, and that's actually something we've been supporting as well by organizing virtual roundtables for retailers to share their insight. So it was super unfortunate for Italy and Europe um, to be yes. kind of the first country hit. But for the other regions, that was a great opportunity to understand a bit what is going on. So I do think um, the other countries were a bit more prepared. Um, when this hit them. And there were some quite similar patterns on a kind of a general level in, in how um, consumers went out to stockpile and the shift from um, brick and mortar to online and so on, uh, which I think uh, gave the most progressive um, retailers an advantage. Uh, because they could actually start preparing something that, that Italy really couldn't do. Then I do think that, and now I'm kind of uh, promoting our own software, but it really makes a huge difference if you have uh, flexible IT systems that you can adapt quickly to, to a new situation. So what our customers in general have done is to kind of take their hands off the wheel, so to speak, in the product categories where the impact has been kind of moderate and just rely on the system to deal with it. Um, and instead, they focus their time and effort um, about basically working with suppliers and operations to make sure that there are goods available, potentially shifting from one supplier to another, making all of these changes very rapidly and just counting on the system being able to, for example, make sure that they still fill 
truckloads when delivering to the stores, even though the supplier base has, has been changed. And then they put in place rules in the system to adjust forecasts automatically based on what's going on. So, for example, um, one of our clients in Germany, uh, a drugstore retailer, uh, Rossmann, with, I think, a little less than 2,000 stores uh, around Germany, um, mentioned that it took them two days to deal with these surging uh, items. They put in rules in the software um, to deal with these very unusual demand patterns. And after that, they again reached a very high level of automation throughout. And this was just kind of the top 5% uh, of items impacted um, by the demand surges. Um, so all in all, a highly automated process that frees up time to really work with the big issues, securing supply, um, maximizing intelligent use of capacity, for example, by uh, narrowing down the product range uh, temporarily. It's interesting. So this uh, this example of the drugstore in Germany, um, what did they do beforehand? I assume they were well prepared with, and they, uh, they have been implemented the system for, for some time now to, to deal with the search. Um, did they do something different or what was their, uh, their advantage? I think Rosman, as, as uh, many of our other clients, have had the goal uh, already previously to let the system deal with the kind of uh, business as usual stuff very automatically. So they have worked towards a situation where there aren't, for example, master data issues that planners need to deal with, but rather uh, have such high quality uh, of input data that also the output is very high quality, meaning that there is very little need for, for people to adjust, uh, for example, water proposals or, or safety stocks or even forecasts. Uh, and that makes a company very well prepared in a situation like this, where you actually need some manual intervention, but you have the knowledge of how to do that, not item by item, but by adding rules that deal with identified, for example, product categories or the top sellers in, in product categories. So they are really good at kind of making the system work for them. And that's uh, something that is highly useful in, in situations of rapid change. I agree. And I think a lot of uh, what you're saying is a conscious effort from the leadership that this is what we want to achieve and then discipline on, on all fronts to make sure the data is uh, healthy or is there the right uh, format and so on. Do you, because I'm, I'm interacting with quite a lot of um, companies and most of them who also are in the solution space tell me that clients nowadays are already convinced of the importance of, of having a good system. Um, from being convinced to actually using it and having good data, there is some, some light between these two ideas. But do you see any trends um, when it comes to transformation or digitization um, and uh, the appetite of clients towards it? Um, when we 
founded Relax about 15 years ago, um, things like software as a service were quite new. Uh, and there we've seen a massive transformation of, of uh, clients uh, not only being open to it, but actually requesting uh, SaaS solutions. And I do think that has a massive impact on, for example, implementation. Um, and that's, that's been a big shift. Uh, I think another thing that's um, changed quite drastically is kind of the understanding of um, maths and now AI actually adding value and that it doesn't have to be uh, um, run by data scientists. It can actually be packaged into a tool that somebody who really understands the business process uh, can be running rather than somebody that, that is really good at statistics, for example. So that's another big change. But I do think companies are still um, in different states of mind. Um, some are really looking for the kind of newest and latest and, uh, well, basically AI and machine learning are, are the kind of keywords, uh, whereas others are still a bit more skeptic uh, about what can be automated and, and what cannot be automated. So it's not like all of the retailers would be moving at the same pace and uh, the exact same direction. But I actually think that this crisis will also highlight how difficult it is to manage tens of millions of inventory flows effectively if you don't have that system support. It was probably doable in a very kind of steady state with, for example, grocery sales um, changing maybe one or two percent year on year. But then when you have things like this, or um, let's say wildfires or extreme weather events, it's very, very complicated um, to manage that well manually. Mm. And like you touched uh, upon this topic a few times, so there are um, people who think AI is, uh, and machine learning is going to save and solve everything. And there are people who are skeptical. I imagine that you have the role most of the time, or sometimes, to set up healthy and uh, wise expectations towards what machine learning can do and how important is the human uh, element to it, to, of, of managing the input data or inputting data and then uh, inputting decisions and making the final decision, so to speak. How do you, or my, my question would be, is it tough and how do you manage to set this kind of healthy expectations? What, what have you learned so far? It can be a bit, uh, a bit of a challenge because as I said, um, people come from different places um, in that respect. Some are looking for, for the newest of the new and others are very skeptical of, of uh, what can be automated. So I really do think that if um, retailers want to make good decisions about their software, they need to be ready to engage in a dialogue uh, with the vendors. I do understand that you need to have some um, hygiene factors when, when, for example, running a buying process. But I do also think it's a high risk if you don't engage with the vendors and have that open and honest dialogue about what has a business impact and what doesn't have a business impact and talk about customer examples and, and actual cases 
because it's not black and white. The impact is going to be great in certain areas and very minor in others. And if you don't talk through um, the whole range of situations in your business, um, there are going to be uh, missed opportunities, but also expectations that haven't been met. So for example, if you look at demand forecasting, which is kind of the classical um, area where you would implement machine learning, I think it's an excellent idea uh, to run uh, machine learning and demand forecasting. It's very helpful, but the forecast as such doesn't do anything. It has to be operationalized. It has to be used uh, for inventory optimizations or replenishment, capacity management in a good way before it actually adds any value. So if you only fo focus on, for example, um, improving forecast accuracy, but don't touch any of these other areas, the business impact may be very small. And especially in, in retail where you have lots of long tail products and slow boobers, um, having just a slight improvement in, in forecast accuracy may not give any benefits at all. Uh, whereas then if you, for example, use AI to optimize um, capacity management in the supply chain, um, the outcome may be quite dramatically more impactful. Yes. And it's a, it's a clear distinction. Again, making sure people understand and clients. I think this period is a good uh, period of education and having a good reason to, to learn more and understand more about uh, what's possible and what we should do. Um, and each client should do to, to have a better result with, with AI. I wanted to take the discussion um, towards Relax Solution a bit and, and inside com the company. I was curious because you started, like you said, 15 years ago, you've, you've grown and now you have a very strong presence, of course, in, in Europe, you have a presence in the US, in uh, APEC. Uh, I'm not sure if, if in other regions, maybe you can tell me about it, but what is the strategic direction of the company? Where do you see the company growing? Where do you plan to expand? So basically our vision as a company is to optimize retail um, and as mentioned, we we started with demand forecasting and, and supply chain optimization. Uh, but these last few years, we've been leveraging that kind of planning foundation and expanded into other uh, core retail planning processes. Um, and we do think that there's huge advantages of not just having kind of an integrated suite of products, but actually uh, being able to link these processes in such a way that you can optimize cross-functionally. And just to give you an example, um, something simple as markdown optimization. Uh, then you have uh, the planning foundation in place. Uh, so for example, uh, our forecasting and replenishment solution, it gives you automatic visibility of uh, future demand. It also gives you automatic visibility into uh, what inventory you have, where in the supply chain, and how that will develop as a function of, of the demand. Um, which means that a system like ours can then highlight automatically which items would benefit from markdowns to clear out stock in the supply chain. 
So either, for example, because it's um, seasonal items or because uh, you know that there's going to be a range change and uh, you would like to clear out the old range to make room for the new one. And then you have these components in the system. You can actually run a completely dynamic markdown process where the system highlights where markdowns are needed, um, uses AI to suggest the optimal markdown discount, and then actually even implement this in the stores uh, using um, a mobile user interface to communicate with the stores about what needs to be done. And that really changes the game. So previously, markdowns have been typically something that retailers do as kind of a project, an end of season project, for example, the Christmas markdown project. But now you can actually do this with very little manual intervention continuously, which means that markdowns are done early enough uh, to actually have an impact and in an optimal way to preserve as much margin as possible. And that's kind of a, seems like a, a small thing, uh, but if you manage to, uh, throughout your process, have markdowns that are um, some percentage points more accurate, that really accumulates uh, over the year, over the items, over the stores, uh, and has a huge financial impact. So this is an element that you want to double down on, and you already have done a great job uh, at doing it. Um, and from a geographic expansion perspective, is still Europe being the base focus, or you're thinking about other places as well? Mm, yeah, so Relax was uh, founded originally in Finland, uh, which makes Europe our home market, and that's where we kind of started um, our growth path. Um, in 2015, um, we raised capital for the first time. Um, and that was because we had decided to venture into the US market. And that's actually been a huge success story. So um, there's Relax overall has grown about 50% annually. The growth rate in, in the US has been uh, quite a lot more than that. Um, of course, Europe is still the bigger market for us, uh, but we don't think it will take more than a few years uh, until the US uh, is of equal size from our perspective. Um, we've also just now started um, venturing into the APEC region. Um, so that's like very early days. Um, but we do, do see some good traction in that region and, and are quite excited about the opportunities we are seeing. And uh, me being in Singapore, I, I definitely see that. And the, the market here is, is been growing like crazy all over the board, not only retail, but definitely retail is a big part of it. Of course, we have the mature markets like Australia, New Zealand, Japan, but the emerging markets or more mature in Southeast Asia are also big places to, to grow. And um, now thinking about your own teams, right? Because working from home and um, connecting with clients remotely has been the norm in the last few weeks uh, globally. Have there been uh, some um, lessons learned from your side as leaders that are connected to how to manage remote teams um, you know, in a, an efficient way? Any, any lessons there? 
um, I don't think it's uh, rocket science in a way. So obviously <laughs> we've been uh, trying to to um, see what everyone else is doing. Uh, it was a new situation that emerged quite quickly. I think, of course, that we were in a good position from that perspective that people work remotely quite extensively, uh, all also in normal times. And uh, as we have um, employees in, in a lot of different regions and different time zones and, and so on, you're kind of used to um, the shuffle of, of finding um, good time slots for remote meetings and so on. Um, so the change wasn't that drastic uh, in that sense. But of course, what you miss out on when everyone is working remotely all the time um, is the kind of informal interaction. So the kind of uh, business-focused activities haven't changed as much, but suddenly you don't have that informal interaction of, of people um, chatting um, by the coffee machine or um, yes. team leads uh, just kind of seeing uh, the face of, of a team member and, and being able to pick up some signals of, of things going really well or, or not so well. Um, so we've uh, strongly encouraged all, all of our team leads to make sure that there are these kind of informal um, team coffee breaks and, and things like that, um, just to kind of keep some element of that informal chit-chatty uh, interaction that is actually yeah. quite essential uh, for well-functioning teams. I agree. And... Um... Going close to, to my last few questions now, Jenna. Um, you touched upon an element that is very important, especially for, for uh, up and, I mean, you're already well established, but you're still growing culture. So culture ha has to be uh, something you, you, you think about quite often when it comes to what is the culture you're trying to nurture for the company and then how you can bring people that are aligned to that culture. Can you share your perspective on uh, your uh, what what type of culture you're you're nurturing at Relix and how are you trying or how are you hiring for that culture as well? Um, it's a very good question because obviously culture is not a static thing, and I think one of the challenges of growth is that you constantly need to reevaluate things both kind of tangible things like um, processes. Is this process uh, that was developed for a company of 500 people now applicable in a situation where you have a thousand people? Uh, but it also applies to culture. So kind of the less tangible, softer things. So are these things that served us really well up till now still valid going forward? Um, and how much of a uniform culture makes sense when you have people in vastly different um, kind of companies in that sense that, for example, APAC is really kind of in the startup phase for us, yes. whereas Europe is kind of a mature business in a sense. Um, so there is no easy answer to that. Um, with growth, with the kind of... Um, internationalization and, and with the kind of different levels of maturity also within the company comes the need for having kind of different subcultures as well. So what we've tried to identify is some kind of core values, core behaviors uh, that we 
want to maintain and nurture and then be sufficiently flexible about the other things uh, so that there is room for people to to do things differently in, in, in different markets, different situations. I would it's be not curious. easy. Yeah, <laughs> correct. I would be curious of, of those core behaviors. Maybe you can share a few. I think that they're related to, to the growth and the success you had so far. Yeah, I think something that, that people um, tend to pick up on very quickly when they join a Freelux is how helpful all their colleagues are. And that is something as I see as a core strength, um, especially when you're growing fast, not everything will be kind of perfect. It takes time to document processes and, and, and kind of uh, cross all the T's and, and put the dots on the I's. And uh, when things develop and change very fast, there are probably going to be a lot of, lot of T's that haven't been crossed. Uh, and that's where your colleagues step in. So if not all information is perfectly documented, it's super important that the people around you are willing to help you uh, do a great job. And that's something I think we've been very successful in. Virtuous circle in that sense that when new people join, they feel this warm welcome of everyone being there to answer their questions, regardless of uh, what team they are in or country or whatnot and if you just kind of uh, go on the group chat and shout out your question somebody will, will answer it regardless of uh, whether it's their job or not um, and then when they feel this when they join they are going to pass it on to the next newbie um, so I think that's something that's very hard to construct but when uh, you have this good thing going it kind of feeds itself Thank you for sharing that. Yes, being helpful. Um, now, the last last topic and last question I wanted to touch upon, Joanna, is uh, regarding the future. So what should we expect in the next few months and how should we prepare supply chain professionals from your perspective? Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, so I think my best advice is to kind of expect nothing and everything. So I do think that, that flexibility and adaptability is key. It's uh, impossible to create a plan at the moment. Uh, it's possible to develop a few different scenarios and think about how quickly or slowly uh, you can afford to, to react to certain signals. But basically, assuming things in this situation is going to be very, very dangerous. Um, so I do think that, that retailers need to be very much on their toes, very flexible, very adaptable, very keeping a close eye on the market uh, to come out of this in, in, in a good uh, position. Yes, I agree. Expect nothing but expect <laughs> but also everything. It's, it's definitely a a tough uh, situation we are in and we need to be flexible and adapt i think you're uh, spot on with that so thank you thank you very much for your time and sharing and it was um, it was great to have your perspective on, on how things are how they should be or what we should focus on i uh, i appreciate your time thank you so much thank you for listening to our podcast 
If you like what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcodglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help. <laughs>